the final podcast of the 2016-2017 minor league baseball offseason has arrived. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hi, Sam. Hello, Tyler. How are hey. you? Hey. You like that dramatic intro? That was a very dramatic intro, very yeah. Good. Very it's, dramatic. It's, it might be the second. And also most, accurate. Yeah. Second most dramatic intro we've had in the last three weeks, but it's... Yeah, that's true. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, we're going in with a that that'll be our new thing for the 2017 season, just being very dramatic in how we talk about these things. We'll see right, how, right from uh, the off how serial we can get exactly. That'll be yeah. that'll be our goal for each episode. And uh, this one is the 103rd of the show before the show podcast from milb.com. Hi everybody, I am Tyler Mon. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. And we are uh, set to roll for the final edition of the show before actual baseball starts. Well, kind of. I guess next week is technically the final edition before baseball starts for the 2017 minor league season. But next week we'll be previewing the season. The season preview episode doesn't really count as an off-season episode. Get out of here with your semantics. It's also coming out on opening day. Right, exactly. So get out of my mentions, people. Right, yeah. Get out of our mentions before we get, get out of our mentions. Chance to get in there as we record this a day before it's released. Please. Yeah, but it, it was. I was actually thinking on the way, the way I want to call it into the studio as if this is a studio. No, it's just a conference room. But uh, <laughs> it, it was just so nice walking over here because after the whole off season, normally we we record this at a time where it's dark. It's you know it's it's been dark for a little bit here on the East Coast. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of cold now. It's legitimately warm here in New York. The sun is still out. You know, it, it's around dinner time. The sun is still out. So there's a lot of reasons to feel optimistic right now as we kind of go into this first segment and into this last podcast of of uh, the off season. I am one of those people who very highly uh, is jolted by the the jump in spring where we get the extra hour of i don't i i don't know if we're on daylight savings time now or if we went off of daylight i don't know when you save the daylight presumably it's over the winter and that would put us on standard time right now yeah exactly so but i love that i love that because then yeah then it's not dark at 4 15 i don't need to put my sweatpants on as work starts for the night uh but i do it anyway um so hey everybody welcome in to episode number 103 you can find the show before the show podcast at milb.com slash podcast and also on itunes and the stitcher app and wherever else you get your podcasts and while there you can be so kind as to give us a rating and a review and a subscription. I know that uh, we actually had a review come in that we talked about on one of our episodes, and that fan then last week emailed Benjamin Hill because Ben is going to be visiting the ballpark where that fan attends games and uh, got in touch with Ben, wants to be a designated eater, wanted Ben to come swing by where he and his friends hang out in the park. It's pretty cool. It's our own little, uh, our own little podcast nerd fan community. I love all you people. Yeah, whether you reach out or not, um, we, we're always glad that you you listen. But yeah, to have that kind of come through, Ben and I were talking about that after that email came in. Of n- normally, Ben has his I, I don't want to say community of followers, but just kind of you know the the type of people that follow Ben, and to have them now filter through the podcast to get to Ben is kind of a different experience. Yeah, so, it's weird. Yeah, so you know, you will have Ben on today, like we do most weeks, and. Um, he'll be talking about his trip. So if you, you know, hear something about him coming to your hometown or somewhere near you and you want to be a designated eater, 
reach out to him, tell him you heard him about it through the podcast. I mean, that, that makes us feel good. It makes Ben feel good that, that this is all worthwhile. And, um, yeah, we're always glad when you guys reach out and there's so many different ways to do that. Um, you know, whether it's through Twitter, one of our Twitter accounts, uh, the email address podcast at MILB.com, uh, leaving reviews, any of that type of stuff, you know, we can never get enough of it. So yeah, that, as the season rolls along, if there's some question you want answered on the podcast, something that happened with your favorite prospect or your favorite farm system. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out. We're, we're glad to always get to those in, in three strikes or in a foul ball. And uh, we get kickbacks. If you go to Ben and tell him you came for the podcast, he gives us like an extra ration of puns every week. So it's good <laughs> that way. Um, so let's dive into it on episode number 103. We got a lot coming up for you on the show today. The manager of the AA Hartford Yard Goats and also Team Israel in the 2017 World Baseball Classic. Jerry Weinstein will join the show coming up in a little bit. Really good conversation with Jerry. If you are a catcher, a young catcher, or a coach of a catcher, or a parent of a catcher, stick around listen to that interview because it's a whole lot of fun and we'll tell you where you can find some of jerry's best instruction a guy who is more experienced than a lot of people in baseball put together uh, on the catching side and on the player development side we'll talk with jerry coming up here in a little bit we'll hear from benjamin hill on some of his 2017 road trips and more coming up in a little while but We'll kick things off, as always, with three strikes for episode number 103, and we'll get it started with our prospect primers, which are nearly wrapped up for 2017. I know all of mine have run already. Sam, I think are yours all done now, too? No, I actually have the, the one Nationals more? coming out on Friday. Um, so the last if you're one. listening to this on Thursday, then the Nationals are not out yet. They are coming out on Friday. Uh, but after that, I think we'll, we'll be completely done. Obviously, that makes sense. We've been going alphabetical order, so Washington would be in that last group. But um, yeah, tons to pour over in those. Uh, and yeah, that that's my last one. And then I'm good. So get excited. If you're a fan of pretty much everybody early on in the alphabet through the first three quarters or so, your team has already been released for prospect primers. That's how we rolled them out this season. And uh, who stood out to you so far from these, Sam, we have rolled through the majority of the top systems in baseball, the systems that we really like the Atlanta Braves are out, Chicago White Sox are out, the New York Yankees. What stood out to you so far from primers? Yeah, there's two that I want to touch on. And one is actually from the nationals. So if you are listening to this on Thursday, you're a nationals fan, I'll, I'll give you a little taste of a preview um, but one thing I always look at in the assignment game is who's getting pushed. You know, it, it, it's easy to kind of hold guys back and say, not baby them necessarily, but, um, you know, to say we want them to succeed. We want to put them in positions to succeed. And, you know, you talk to anybody in player development, they say they want that, but they also want to push them. Uh, but I always get a little bit more excited when guys are really aggressively pushed. Uh, somebody like Ozzie Albies last year getting pushed to double-A Mississippi, being the youngest player there, then even getting pushed even higher to triple-A. Uh, we know, you know, that was a little bit of a speed bump for him, and he went back down to double-A. But, you know, we found out a lot about the player and that he could succeed that level. He skipped Class A advanced. Um, so two of my primers this year, uh, were the Phillies and the Nationals, uh, two clubs I got to visit in spring training. And, you know, there are two guys in those systems, one in each, that really just thrived, put up straight-up video game numbers in the Gulf Coast League last year. Now, I know what you're thinking and what partly what I'm thinking. You know, the GCL, it's the lowest of the domestic leagues it, next to the AZL. It's still on the complex um, not that big of a challenge, but for a lot of guys who aren't, you know, used to playing every day or aren't used to playing stateside, that culture shock, uh, it can provide a test. 
Um, but what does that mean when they thrive there? Are they going to still be kicked up to, you know, one of the higher short season levels to begin the net, the following season, or are those clubs really going to push them aggressively and try to test them out over a full season? And, you know, in my talks with both the Phillies and the nationals, I kind of got the feeling that in the national system, Juan Soto, um, one of their best prospects after he, he hit 361 in the Gulf coast la league last year. Uh, he had a 960 OPS. He was the league's MVP. Not a bit, not a big surprise given the numbers he put up there. Five homers, five steals in 45 games for the GCL Nationals. It seems like he's going to get the push to Class A Hagerstown, uh, which is a lot of fun. He put, played 51 games between the GCL and Class A short season Auburn. Um, you know, it was six games with Auburn, but he still thrived really well there, uh, going nine for 21. That's a 429 average in six games. Um, so the fact that they're going to test him there can be really exciting. We get to see just how much that bat plays. He's only 18. He won't turn 19 until October 25th. So that's that's kind of crazy to think about. This is still this would be his high school senior season, uh, and he's probably going to be tested out in the South Atlantic League. That's really exciting. Over in the Philly system, uh, focusing on an arm there, Sixto Sanchez, another guy. He's not going to be 19 until July 29th. Uh, but he put up a 0 0.50 ERA in 11 starts last year. That was 54 innings uh, in the Gulf Coast League for a Phillies team that was one of the best teams, at least in terms of wins and losses, in all of the minors last year. Uh, struck out 44, walked only eight, so he has impressive control. All the reports on his velocity are really exciting. Um, you know, still really young, has a lot to iron out. Uh, but after getting time in the instruction league, instructional league. Uh, after putting on some innings and extended spring training, it seems like they think he can be extended out over a full season. And, you know, when he's coming off a year when the stats were just that dominant, uh, what is it going to be like when he's pitching, you know, a road game that's that's not on the complex, that's in front of fans? What's going to happen when, you know, he's facing a little bit better hitting? Uh, you know, he's not going to be able to get along on just velocity. You can sometimes do that at Class A, but it's obviously a different atmosphere than it is the GCL. Um, so, you know, between Sixto Sanchez and Juan Soto, you know, and putting these together, it was a real question for me to ask, are these guys going to be pushed to the full season level? And the fact that they are is really exciting. Now we have to find out whether, you know, that was the right move um, or, you know, if that's going to kind of set them back. Based on what they've done so far, it, sh it seems like it's the right challenge. Um, you know, it's probably going to help them. If nothing else, it'll humble them a little bit after the successes they found in 2016. But, yeah, I'm really excited to see those two uh, at the lowest rung of the full season ladder. There's a couple of guys that stuck out to me uh, in a, a similar vein. Corey Ray, the outfielder out of Louisville, who went to the Milwaukee Brewers last year with a fifth overall selection, hasn't been the easiest start to his career. Uh, last year in his debut after the draft, 247, 307, 385 is his slash line. Five homers, nine seals in 57 games with Class A advanced Brevard County. Uh, in instructs last year, tore the meniscus in his left knee. That required surgery. And throughout spring training, he's had limited action, but really, really talented player, presumably is going to head back to Class A advance. Now, the Milwaukee Brewers are no longer in the Florida State League. Now they're in the Carolina League with the Carolina Mudcats. Uh, so a, a different surrounding for Corey Ray, a guy who seems to have all the tools and the makeup to make a quick climb, but 
he's been held back so far early on. And that's one of the reasons why we have this category full season debutante, because for guys coming out of the draft or even for young international players or players who just haven't made it out of the short season ranks yet, the test is really to go from April to September, be healthy, be productive. That's the first real big notch to put on your belt as a professional baseball player to jump out of school, get into the short season ranks, carry the momentum of a good college or high school season. That's a good note in a debut season, but to do that for your full, your first full season, that really shows what the track is going to look like for you going forward. So I'll be interested to see what that's like for Corey Ray this year. One of the guys that I'm really intrigued to watch, and I'm not sure if we're going to see him uh, before June, let's say, but a left-handed pitcher in the San Diego Padres organization, Adrian Morahone, who was signed last year as one of the biggest international deals in recent memory, $11 million to him as a 17-year-old. But Morahone, I got a chance to watch him at Padres camp a couple of weeks ago, and watching him throw it was it was very intense in that there you know intra squad games going on the texas rangers had sent over some teams that day there are players that are at the double and triple a levels going against the the guys from the their equivalent on the other side uh with the rangers and you know those types of things that happen on backfields but there was basically a live bp session that a handful of Padres pitchers were going through. And Morahome was the last one to throw with one of those groups. And when he did, just out of nowhere, like 30 scouts materialized. His agent was there, a group of agents from uh, Scott Boris's group that were there with Morahone's agent. Like the energy that was around him at that time you could tell everybody in the Padres organization is pretty fired up to have him. He's not that big of a guy, Adrian Morahone, which is really interesting, but he brings a lot to the table. He's only listed. We haven't seen him yet weighed in and put with his official numbers going into a minor league season, but he's listed at six foot 165. I think the six foot might be a little bit generous, but uh, a guy who can touch 96 with a fastball, really good breaking pitch. The thing that really intrigues me about him, all of his pitches are average, above average to plus, but the, the the pitches that intrigue me, he throws two different changeups. He throws one that's a traditional changeup and one that's been described to me various different ways. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but one member of the Padres organization described it as kind of a knuckle change or a knuckle curveball. Uh, somebody else described it to me as a palm ball, basically. Uh, it's a weird sort of exotic pitch that the Padres haven't really seen anybody throw before. It has wild movement from what I saw the day that he was throwing in camp. But you can tell he is one of those guys – you don't want to put this comp on somebody because of what it carries with it, but he's almost like a Julio Urias in that it's such an exciting young arm and everybody wants to see what he has, and he's only 18 years old. It's a guy who seems like he could climb quickly because the stuff is so good, the makeup seems to be good. The Padres haven't gotten a chance to see him in games yet, and that's what I'm really excited to see. He left Cuba at the end of 2015, didn't pitch at all competitively last year, obviously, signed with the Padres over the summer. This is going to be the first chance that they get to see him in game action, and the Padres did say in a conversation I had with Sam Gini, their player director, developer, player development director, he said, uh, quote, I think the plan is to build for short, medium future rather than worrying about April 1, so to speak. From a stuff standpoint and how the delivery is solid, it's a guy who could potentially move fast. So somebody who stands out, I mean, those are the guys who you really like the the aura that surrounds them sometimes. You haven't really seen them yet. You don't know what you're going to get from them in a game capacity, but the potential is so strong. Those guys can be really exciting. Yeah, and, and they almost have somebody who fit that mold last year, really, in Anderson Espinoza. Right. Um, just that kind of hype 
you know, they they got him from the Red Sox, but I remember the Red Sox system is kind of the same thing. You know, what is this kid going to be? He could move quickly. Actually, it's funny. After you mentioned Morahone's kind of measurements, I looked up Espinosa's. He's listed at six foot one sixty. Um, obviously, a right-hander versus a left-hander, which is kind of interesting, but kind of similar builds. What does that mean for these guys? Um, you know, Espinosa went from the GCL to full season ball, so maybe we'll have to find out what the the plan here is more hone. Um, I like what you said about going short, medium. Was it short, medium, large, or short, medium, fast? Uh, it was uh, short, medium, future, future, rather than worrying okay. about April 1, uh, but that he could potentially move fast because the stuff is so good, the mechanics are so good. Okay, well, I, I still wonder what that means in terms of, because like Urias, I, I still remember when he first made his debut for Great Lakes, that wasn't you know an April debut. That that came later in the season, and they decided to aggressively push him. And he was 16 in, at that point. Right, so. Which is I insane. Mean, yeah, it's it's not like you said. It's not an apples to apples. It's not a perfect one for one comparison here. But um, you know, if they're already planning for him to move quick or see the potential for him to move quick, what does that mean for his assignment once he finally gets it? And uh, what does it mean for innings and all that kind of stuff? So that that's going to be fascinating. So some of the players to keep an eye on out of the early prospect primers, and again, we'll be releasing those through Friday when we'll wrap things up, and then we got some really good stuff coming up next week for opening day content as well, leading you up to Thursday. Strike two this week, Sam. Uh, Prospects contending for major league spots. Uh, We heard today the Chicago White Sox, actually yesterday, Chicago White Sox Jacob May, who's a prospect that we've heard about for a long time. He has seized the White Sox starting center field job. This is the time of spring where we start figuring out where guys are going to fit in if they are going to make major league rosters or if they're going to be figuring things out for the final stages at AAA, et cetera. What do you have your eye on as far as prospects who are competing for big league jobs? Yeah, so this news actually just came out yesterday. Uh, the Reds have announced what their rotation is going to be, and both Amir Garrett and Rookie Davis are going to be in that rotation, um, which I, I find really interesting, not in terms of you know they're kind of getting a shot because we – we don't expect the Reds to be good this year. I don't think the Reds really expect the Reds to be good this year. It's all about testing what they have in the system, um, you know, pushing these guys, letting them get their experience. Uh, and they certainly have openings in the rotation. So, you know, Garrett has looked solid this spring. He certainly earned his way there. Um, but it's fascinating from a, another point of view in that so many springs, these, you know, so many springs in a row, We've talked about service time. You don't expect X to be there on opening day because they're not going to start his clock early. Don't expect Y to be there until June because of Super 2, whatever. The Reds have kind of put that off to the side here. Uh, Rookie Davis, I'm not so surprised with that just because he's not a top-tier prospect. Garrett kind of is. He's the number two prospect in that system right now, number 66 overall. No major league experience has not you know, pitched in the majors yet. He's been on the 40-man for a couple of years now, but has not gotten that debut yet. Now we know that will come this April. Um, so fascinating that they decided to give both of those guys shots. Uh, Garrett should be really interesting. Uh, you know, He put, posted a 2.55 ERA with 132 strikeouts over 144 two-thirds innings last year between AA Pensacola and AAA Louisville. Uh, you, you've probably heard his story at this point. It was taken 22nd round, tw- 2011. Uh, was meant to be a basketball guy, played you know, at St. John's, uh, ended up actually transferring to a, a school in California because he wanted more minutes. The Reds talked him into going baseball full-time. Supremely athletic guy, six, 
foot five, 228 pounds. That's what he's listed at right now. Um, you know, was athletic going back to high school and just decided to throw in front of scouts, see what he had. His fastball was hitting the nineties. You know, you're a left-handed pitcher who has the athleticism to be a college basketball player. You have a fastball in the nineties. You're going to get drafted and try to figure that stuff out. So, uh, it's been really cool to see him kind of climb his way from being, you know, a part-time two-sport player to a full-time actual prospect and see that work its way into the majors. Um, you know, we'll have to see what, what kind of happens with him. Uh, you know, he, he is left-handed. that He'll have that going for him. Uh, I'm particularly fascinated to see what's going to happen with Rookie Davis. Uh, you know, he had a 2.94 ERA and 19 starts last year for Pensacola, uh, but really struggled with Louisville when he was there posting a 7.50 ERA for them. Uh, he came over from the Red, or from the Yankees, excuse me, to the Reds in the Araldis Chapman deal. That doesn't look that great right now. Um, you know, it, it wasn't as big a package because everybody knew Chapman was going to be suspended um, at the time. So, the, you know, you weren't going to pay a huge premium on what was one year, but Chapman ended up netting uh, the Yankees, Gleyber Torres, so the Reds didn't really ex- exactly get full value. At least that's what it feels like. But you know, if Ricky Davis ends up being a solid three or four starter for the Reds this year, maybe we start talking about that trade in a, in a slightly different light. So, uh, yeah, they're going to throw him in the deep end and see how that kind of goes up along. And um, yeah, that Reds rotation, as much as we don't expect it to be great, at least it'll be interesting. That is going to be a fun team to watch. They're one of those teams that's kind of on, it feels like on the precipice of breaking back into maybe not contention right away, but at least uh, more of a, a respectability level in that division, which is a really difficult division right now to be contending in anyway. But the Brewers are kind of in that same boat where it seems like we haven't really thought or talked about them for a while. It's been the Cubs, it's been the Cardinals, it's been the Pirates in that division. But now it feels like the Reds and Brewers are really on the upswing again, so that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, one of the, the battles that I think is really interesting that's going down to the wire, and again, I'm going to go back to the San Diego Padres, but Manny Margot and Hunter Renfro, two guys who we've heard about and seen now at the major league level. It feels like we've heard about them forever. We've seen them have success at the big league level. Hunter Renfro last year, 11 games. It's all it was, but at the end of the season, he OPS 1189, uh, hit four homers of his 13 total hits in his little big league cameo toward the end of the season. Uh, but Manny Margot has not had a real dominant spring yet, but the Padres, he's their top prospect and going into this year, it seemed like would have the inside track toward a starting job. Then he was suffering through some knee issues. Alex Dickerson was ready to come back from a back injury. Now that has kind of flipped. Margot's the healthy one. Dickerson, his back has been given him trouble again so does Manny Margot start this season as the Padres center fielder it would seem like it at this stage and he's one of those guys who really headlines the way San Diego has rebuilt a farm system that the offseason of 2014 to 2015 decimated with the way they brought in every big name big leaguer and then that failed spectacularly the Padres have really gone back to the drawing board and hauled in a ton of talent I mean Sam mentioned Anderson Espinosa he came over from the Red Sox Manny Margot did the same thing uh these are guys who you have to hit on I mean these have to be successful transitions and spinning off major league assets to get talent like this back uh and for Manuel Margot if he graduates and makes that jump to start the season, then I think you start getting a look at, okay, this is how we're going to rebuild it and build something consistent going into the future. But, and this is a topic that'll come up, 
won't come up with the same veracity as of a couple of years ago when we were talking about Chris Bryant in this context. But Manuel Margot, if he spends 24 days in the minor leagues this season, the Padres get another year of team control on his contract. So if he starts the year with a big league club, does he eventually get sent back to AAA to stick around for three and a half weeks in El Paso and then come back up? One of those things that's always interesting going into the start of a season. Um, and so keep an eye on that if you're a Padres fan or if you're you know a Red Sox fan who wants to see how a former prospect from your organization is going to do uh, on the other coast. Uh, and that actually leads us pretty well into strike three this week, Sam, which is the last few years we've been treated – it seems like week after week to the debut of a big-time prospect and guys who have jumped up, made huge impacts. They have stuck at the big league level and they've turned themselves into stars. Uh, from the you know guys like Garrett Cole several years ago, Carlos Correa a couple of years ago, Chris Bryant obviously and the things that he's been able to do in his major league career so far. This conversation we're going to eliminate some guys right out of the gate because prospects like Andrew Benintendi and Dansby Swanson and Tyler Glass now guys who we know are going to be on major league rosters if not right on opening day basically right after opening day. But among prospects that we're not necessarily talking about in that conversation, who do you think is the first one to jump up and stick at the big league level from top prospects across the minors? Yeah, I don't know. I just keep coming back to, you know, it's fantasy baseball season. And, you know, last year, or no, last last year, last week, you know, I did a, a fantasy sleeper conversation. So I've kind of been in this mindset for the last week of, you know, what prospects are going to come up, who's ready for opening day, that kind of thing. Uh, and I keep thinking the way the Dodgers talk about Cody Bellinger and the way everybody talks about Cody Bellinger, I mean, our, ourselves included, it just seems like he's ripe to be, to be brought up really early. Um, yeah, not, not that much experience at AAA yet. Um, you know, I think he played, he played what three games there last year, plus the playoffs. Um, but his offensive potential is really good. Uh, 26 homers last year, hit 30 the year before in the California League, in 872 OPS last year. So, and we've I wrote you know a tool shed this year about his defensive capabilities, not only at first base, which where a lot of people think he could be a Gold Glover, and is the eventual replacement for Adrian Gonzalez, uh, even though Gonzalez is signed for a couple more years. Uh, he is capable and athletic enough to play the outfield, which is where the Dodgers are really hurting. Um, I think. You know, Andre Ethier has a herniated disc right now. They're looking at Andrew Tolles in left field, Yasiel Puig in right, um, you know, Jock Peterson in center. But they're kind of thin. Uh, you know, Tolles had a really strong breakout year last year, looked like a major leaguer, helped them out majorly last year. Um, but if he starts to look like, you know, comes crashing down to what we used to think he was, which is close to a fourth outfielder, you know, these are Dodgers who want to contend, and Bellinger might represent that that case. He's had a strong spring, not you know putting all my eggs in, in the spring training basket. He's just always been a really strong offensive performer. If they decide he's ready to handle left field every day, it, it wouldn't surprise me if he's up by April. Um, you know, and if they bring him up, it's going to be pl- to play every day. It's not going to be to be their fourth outfielder. So. Yeah, there are a couple other names that I, I kind of bounce back and forth. I talked about Ozzy Albies before. I think, you know, the Braves second base is kind of just a bunch of seat warmers. That includes Brandon Phillips. Whenever Albies proves he's ready, they'll bring him up. Uh, J.P. Crawford, yeah, the Phillies will bring him up when he shows he's ready. Um, so a lot of the big names you already know. Um, but among those who have not made a major league debut yet, I, I keep thinking that 
the Bra- the Dodgers, excuse me, are higher on Bellinger than maybe most of these other systems are on their prospects right now. I'm going to stick uh, on the West Coast as well and uh, bring up a name that I feel like we haven't talked about a lot as of late, but has very quietly put together a really good spring uh, and made a case for himself making the jump to the major league level. Now he's blocked potentially at his uh, current position at the big league level, but Franklin Barreto in the Oakland A's organization is a fantastic player. Last year with Midland, 119 games, batted 281, 344, 13, 10 homers, 50 RBIs, jumped up to Nashville in the PCL for the end of the season there. Really, really impressed at the major league level in spring training this year. Um, Bob Melvin actually made a joke about how good Franklin Barreto had been in camp and said, quote, I'm the one that asked to send him down, but what do you say? Well, kid, you ate way too much. I mean, that's how good Franklin Barreto has been. There wasn't really anything that you could say to him as to this is what you need to go get better at. But the thing that he will do in the minors is he'll get some work at second base because as of right now, Marcus Semien's ahead of him, Chad Pender's ahead of him, at least in terms of experience on the organizational ladder of guys who will play shortstop in the big leagues. But among those three guys, He's the best player if he reaches his ceiling. So if he goes down to the AAA level, learns second base, plays that at a high level, I would think at some point the A's are going to find a position for him, especially if he continues to hit the way that he has. And Lord knows if Frank Libretto is going to do anything, it's hit. That guy's hit everywhere that he's been. And the A's have never been a team that's been scared to challenge young guys at the major league level. And to me, if I'm Billy Bean, if I'm that front office and you're looking for the spark that's going to bring the next wave in a pretty talented system already with a talented starting rotation, Jarrell Cotton's going to make a push this year. The, you know, the early conversation about him maybe being a rookie of the year contender, Sean Manaya, we've had on the podcast before had a very good debut season last year. I think Frank Libretto could be in that conversation. He made triple A last year at the age of 20. So there's nothing that suggests that the A's will hold him back, even despite the fact that there are guys right now who are getting players playing time at shortstop, which is his natural position. Uh, you know, Marcus Simeon's a great player. Chad Pinder's a very good player. But I think ultimately, Frank Libretto is the guy with the highest ceiling there. So maybe he does get a look. Yeah, that, that would be really interesting. Because I, I that ace team, I can't crack. Yeah, like, yeah. We don't have like a season preview in terms of here's who we predict is going to win, you know, each division, that kind of thing. That. You know, there's tons of MLB content out there. We're going to kind of leave that alone. But in trying to internalize where I think every team is, I don't know if the A's think know exactly where they are. Yeah. Uh, you know, if everything clicks, you know, the Rangers are good. The Astros are good. The Angels are trying to find themselves in that AL West. So maybe there's a way the A's do what they it seems like they have always done this last decade is kind the of Mariners seem like they've been one piece away for the last 10 years. And Lord knows Jerry DePoto has tried to make enough <laughs> trades to find that one piece. And we've been trading just not sure today. which one of them it is, but it, it's <laughs> got to be one of these guys. Right. Um, yeah. So it, that's just a fascinating division. Um, maybe if the A's come out really well and, and second base, you know, Jed Lowry doesn't quite play up to snuff. They decide, all right, yeah, we are going to go for it. Uh, Franklin, come on up. That would make sense to me. That's fine. Um, you know, going back to his days before he was even with the A's, when he was with Toronto, he was aggressively pushed. So uh, this just seems to fall in line that he will make his major league d- debut at some point this season. Uh, when that'll be might depend on how good the A's are actually going to be um, and how good he, he can kind of tackle the PCL. But for all the reasons Tyler laid out, I think there's plenty of reason to be uh, optimistic about that. 
So it's three strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast. Our final one of off-season talk is next week. We'll get you set for 2017 opening day across the minor leagues, which is coming your way on Thursday, April 6th. Get excited. And uh, for the 2017 season in the Eastern League, the Hartford Yard Goats will be piloted by one Jerry Weinstein, a baseball lifer who has coached, managed, worked in player development at basically every possible level and every possible capacity throughout his career. And this year will be back at the managerial level and already got a taste of that in the World Baseball Classic earlier this month. We'll talk with Jerry Weinstein coming up next. Set for opening day in one week all across the full season ranks of minor league baseball. And we are going to head to the AA Eastern League and the 2017 manager of the Hartford Yard Goats, the AA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. Jerry Weinstein joins us to talk a little uh, Yard Goats baseball, but to also talk about a kind of a crazy spring training and off season. And Jerry, we'll start. Uh, you've been all over the world lately. Where Are you cognizant right now of where you are and how far you are from opening day? You've been in Korea. You've been in Japan. You've been everywhere. Yeah, right now I'm good. I've got my feet on the ground. And, you know, actually the travel wasn't that bad. I, certainly it was, you know, the whole experience with the WBC was tremendous. But, you know, we traveled uh, at night and so got a little sleep and really haven't missed too many hours of sleep and came right back to spring training and got right in the swing of things. And uh, so it's been good in that that aspect. Well, we're four years away from getting a chance to talk about the WBC regularly again, so let's talk about this uh, a little bit before we get into your your double-A season. Uh, manager of Team Israel, a fantastic run for you guys through the opening round into the second round in Tokyo, running to some really tough teams in Tokyo, but just a, a, an unbelievable story for the group of guys that you brought together uh, and piloted to wins over international powerhouses, you know, on the road in a crazy environment in Korea, then you travel over to the Tokyo Dome. I mean, just an unbelievable experience now that you've had some time to look back on it how do you encapsulate that I mean I know you've been involved uh with baseball in terms of uh the Israeli Baseball Association for a little while and some connections there but doing it on the WBC stage has got to be different from almost anything else just tell us about what that experience was like well very very much like I've had a chance to coach two Olympic teams and it was very similar to that uh even probably even on a grander scheme because of uh uh, you know, it was all baseball and happening in four different venues and uh, 16 different countries and the enthusiasm and the energy and the emotion involved in and the nationalism involved in, in the in all those environments. But especially so in, in Korea and Japan, it was unbelievable, especially uh, when we played Korea in the uh, Sky Dome and then played Tokyo in the Tokyo Dome with 55,000 uh, fans there it was great experience and uh competition was great the the organization was unbelievable it was like a um, a a world series on steroids because it was happening all over the world globally it was a tremendous event and mlb did a great job and it was a you know really memorable experience not just for the players but our coaching staff and all the people that were involved it was extremely positive experience and and if you could just kind of talk about what it was like bringing that team together i mean that that Israeli team is just such a unique situation in that it, it's mostly made up of, you know, Jewish American players who, you know, have the potential to have citizenship in Israel. But, um, you know, this isn't a team that, you know, you could go to Israel and exactly scout for. You have to bring these guys together, you know, from all sorts of levels of, of major minor league baseball. 
Um, you know, how were you guys able to come together as a team and how are you able to bring them together to find that success that you guys did? Well, it, you know, overall it was a, it was a difficult and frustrating process because uh, a, and the qualifier was the end of the regular minor league season. We were using all minor league players and guys were toast at the end of the year and organizations were reticent to have pitchers play. And so we ended up with a, a fair number of independent league guys and then, uh, or release players or and guys like Jason Marquis who had, who had dusted off his bikes pitch in the, in the, uh, uh, Wichita tournament. And then, then decided, well, yeah, I might do this and, and, and pitched extremely well for us in, in the qualifier and uh, then got fired up about playing again and pitched well again in the WBC. But it was uh, basically, it was the people termed it a team of has-beens and wannabes. We had some veteran players who had big league experience and then we had a bunch of young players, but the team chemistry was unbelievable from day one. Uh, early on in our, in our, uh, uh, mini camp before we started the qualifier when uh, we just kind of day one we didn't have a lot of time to introduce one another we had to get into the workout because we were up in Hudson Valley and only had the field for a limited amount of time we got finished a little bit early we sat down and dug out to you know basically hey tell us who you are and where you've been and all of a sudden you know uh, the, it was uh, an outpouring of emotion especially from the guys who were on the 2012 team who did not qualify, and they talked about how it haunted them every day for four years. And uh, and our best players, uh, guys like Marquis and, and uh, Cody Decker and Nate Fryman, and I mean, I can't, I can't name all of them, but they were all in. It was 100% investment, and that day was the day that we cemented our team culture and it carried over into the WBC. We also went to West Point that day and spoke to their baseball cadets and got a tour of the facilities, and that was – another part of that, uh, that, uh, culture building, uh, experience. And I, you know, I didn't do anything other than get turned down a lot by a lot of players that, that especially big league players who had an opportunity to play in the WBC, but just the timing was bad. And then traveling all the way to, uh, Asia, you know, with a 16 hour time difference, but it's too bad because they would have had a great experience. And hopefully next time around that we'll be able to access some, some big league active big league players. We didn't have a guy on that team that was on a 40 man roster. Uh, they were all in spring training and we had a couple guys that joined us uh, late in the second round designated out of the designated pitcher pool, uh, Jared Lakine and Brad Goldberg from the White Sox. But uh, going into it, we, we, we didn't have a, a current big league player or a 40 man player for that matter. Yeah, that actually transitions well to what I wanted to ask next. I mean, some of these names you mentioned, you know, Jason Marquis, Cody Decker, we've had on the podcast before, uh, Ryan LaVarnway, some people might know from his major league time. But um, there was definitely some guys that, you know, your normal baseball fan is going to recognize. But out of the that next tier of, you know, guys you had on that team, who kind of stood out? Who, you know, among that group, somebody people might not know well, but really shined in, in that tournament setting? Well, Scotty Burcham. You don't know who he is. Nobody knows who he is except his <laughs> folks in the in the Colorado Rockies. He was a swing infielder for our Sally League team. He really wasn't an everyday player, and and he was tremendous in the qualifier, and then again tremendous in the WBC. And and uh, you know it was a it was great for him, great for his career. Now he's things are people are starting to take notice because he played. He played short on that team. We had thought that maybe Ty Kelly would play short for us, but it worked out that 
Ty Kelly, it was a better fit with Ty Kelly at, at third and Scotty at short, and he got some big hits in games and played flawless defense. And, I mean, he had two sports center plays uh, during the tournament, you know, top 10, and uh, and he's one guy. And then another guy, a young player from the Cleveland Indians organization, Tyler Krieger, second baseman, switch hitter. Uh, and he was an A-level player, and he played outstanding as well. And, I mean, it was it was great. Uh, to see the young guys and the old guys, and the old guys embracing the young guys, and we have we had a fair number of guys with a significant amount of big league experience, and and they were a band of brothers with those young kids, and really looked out for them, took care of them, gave them good advice, mentored them, and it was a it was a very enriching experience for all involved. Tyler Krieger is a Clemson product who's the 18th-ranked prospect in the Indians organization. You mentioned Scotty Burcham, who had the walk-off hit, not the walk-off hit, but the eventual game-winning hit for you guys against Korea in the opening round. And uh, that transitions us well to talk about where you are right now, headed back for the the minor league season in the Colorado Rockies organization. You'll be the manager of Double-A Hartford this year. And I was in Arizona a few weeks ago, got a chance to talk to Zach Wilson, who's the Rockies' senior director of player development, about your role in the WBC. And it was really neat to see the way – the organization was obviously a thousand percent behind you. What did that mean to you? Because a lot of organizations contend with sending players off for different teams, various competitions, that type of stuff. Not many deal with sending a minor league manager away in the middle of spring training. So how did that come about in your discussions with the organization? And what did it mean to you knowing that they were behind you all the way like that? Well, I was, I was ready to, to stay in spring training. If they said, Hey, we need you in spring training. They said, Oh no. No, you gotta go. I said this. You can't pass up. I mean, the Rockies are, for me, are the greatest organization around in terms of people, persons. You know, they they really look out for their people, and they said, this is too good an experience for you not to go. And we had two players. We had two Rocky players. We had we had uh, Troy uh, Nyman and we had Bertram, and and both those guys were fighting for jobs in spring training, and they wanted them to go, wanted them to have that experience over and above what it meant for their career in the Rockies, which uh, you know, fortunately, both of them are doing well. But uh, you know, they said you can't not go, uh, and so that you know that made me feel good. And then all throughout the tournament, Jeff Breidish, Dick Monford, Zach Wilson, uh, you know, constantly texting and emailing, and I talked to those guys. And and then when I got back, I mean, the facility, you know, just because of the where we are on the timeline, you know, guys are in the weight room at six in the morning doing no work and watching us play in the WBC and watching Scotty Burcham uh, <laughs> drive in the winning, the, the winning run against Korea and guys going nuts in the, in the cafeteria. And I mean, everybody was dialed in and uh, you know, so when they came back, they were, you know, it was kind of heroic, <laughs> you know, guys returning. And so from the Rocky standpoint, it, it, I mean, the support they gave us and the encouragement they gave us and, uh, uh, never disconnected from from the organization. They were right on top of it. It was very, very gratifying in that respect. Well, let's talk about the 2017 season. Your 11th season uh, in the Rockies organization, and you're back as a manager for the first time since you were with uh, Class A Advanced Modesto from 2007 to 2011. But you've been in the organization uh, working around the offensive coordinator for a while, 2014, 2015. You were supervisor of player development with Modesto. Last year, special instructor to player development. Uh, 2012 and 2013, you were the major league catching coach. So you've done everything just in the Rockies organization. But prior to that, you were the Dodgers director of player development in 2002. 
2001. I mean, a baseball lifer, I think, doesn't even really describe what it is that your career encapsulates. But, Jerry, for you to go back to a managerial role now, um, I would imagine that that still carries its own special level of significance. What was the the process for you to go from these different roles in player development the last few years to now coming back to a managerial capacity with Hartford? Well, I think the, the – I think the the real factor was that that the organization had a need. Uh, um, after Bud was hired, they took a lot of time on putting that big league staff together, and at the end, uh, which was a great thing, they they elevated a lot of minor league uh, personnel and coaches, and so uh, they had some vacancies. and uh, And uh, Zach asked me, uh, you know, what I'd like to do. I said, Well, I'd like to manage, and he says, Well, would you? If we needed you, would you manage Double uh, A? I said, sure, I'll do whatever you want me to do, wherever I can help. You know, I'm really indebted to the Rockies. Uh, I like to manage. I like, I love the kids. I like the daily grind. I like uh, the challenge of managing young players. Uh, and, and I mean, of, of every of all the things I've done, that's the thing that I enjoy the most. You know, teaching and coaching and, and on a daily basis and and helping guys, you know, achieve their dreams and and get themselves to the big leagues and those types of things, you know, anything I can do in that area, you know, I like, and especially managing uh, because, you know, you, you get the quizzes during the day with your preparation and every night you got an exam and, and then every, and you do it 140 times during the year. And at the end of the year, you hope that, uh, you know, each individual player has, has made progress. We can move players to triple a or, I mean, six guys from that club played in the big leagues last year and anything we can do to help the player, you know, create value with the player, improve their skill level, uh, put more tools in their toolkit uh, is very gratifying from an individual level. But certainly, you know, I feel like, you know, it adds to the to the uh, efficiency and, and, uh, you know, that's what we do as minor leaguers, create value out of our players. And uh, Tyler went through most of your resume before, but one thing you haven't done has has been managed at this level, at this double-A level. Um, what kind of challenges do you kind of see at this level specifically? A lot of people talk about, you know, the jump from high A to double-A is, is probably the biggest in the minors. I had one person tell me, you know, <clears throat> at double-A it goes from um, talking about projection to talking about actual performance uh, on a night nightly basis. Um, what kind of challenges do you kind of foresee, you know, trying to tackle this level specifically? Well, I think in our environment, at, and we're still in, with our work groups, we don't have our teams yet, but just in looking at the personnel that we're going to have a very young team that a lot of guys that are inexperienced, uh, a lot, of, I, I think we may have one of the younger teams in all of double A baseball from the looks of things. And with that being said, you're looking at, uh, a lot of obstacles there's going to be failure and dealing you know dealing with failure for the first time uh, i think that that is going to be a critical element in, in how we the environment we create and and uh and uh, how we handle that situation and and deal with each individual's player's special needs in that type of environment where maybe they're failing for the first time and that uh, every night they're seeing uh, better caliber pitching, more consistent play. It's some nights it's the men against the boys, <laughs> and so you need to need to figure it out and and uh, not get too tied into the outcome and and make sure you have a good process. So there are, I mean, it's no different than every level has its challenges, and and you're dealing with, you know, you're dealing with 
with young players and, and there's going to be labor pains and you just have to deal with it. And, and uh, you need to be consistent and on a daily basis relative to the expectations and, and focus on process and not get too tied into outcome. All right. Well, the, the last question for me um, just has to deal with kind of the unique situation that Hartford was in and what they will be going into this year. Um, you know, last year, obviously the team was on the road the entire year. That doesn't look like it's going to be the case. Obviously, this year it looks like Dunkin' Donuts Park is going to be set for opening day. Um, what do you think it would have been like to take that job last year? And what is it going to be like working with some of those players who are going to, you know, who are probably returning to the Double A level and you well, know, are I, actually going to have? If I had run? to, if I had to do that last year, you'd be talking to the executor of my estate. <laughs> I don't think I could. <laughs> I don't think I could have made it through what those guys made it through. I saw them at the end of the year, and they were zombies. They were toast. I don't think I could have done that. And our staff last year was uh, with Darren Everson and, and Ron Gideon and Dave Burba, and uh, they were they were unbelievable, and the players went through a lot. But the guys that were there last year that are returning that, or who will return will be rewarded for their efforts last year because they're going into a world-class facility you know, very player-friendly environment, great locker rooms, great players' lounge, great video room, great weight room, great facility. Uh, it's, it's. I mean, for me, I haven't seen a better one in the minor leagues. I'm talking with Jerry Weinstein, who is the double-A manager of the Hartford Yard Goats and the Colorado Rockies organization. Jerry, before we let you go, I want to ask you one more thing. Um, not a whole lot of minor league coaches or managers or player development people have embraced social media the way you have. There was actually a really cool story that Thomas Harding of MLB.com did back in November, uh, right after the, the WBC qualifier. You can follow Jerry on Twitter. He is a J one catching J W O N catching. And there Jerry's got, I think over 20,000 followers now on Twitter and some really, really cool content in terms of catching fundamentals, videos from MLB.com videos from YouTube and just brief snippets of instruction on catching and other stuff fundamentally in baseball. How did that come about for you to to embrace that side of, of the social media game, especially because baseball, in large part, I think the administrative and the coaching side especially, are kind of worried about that. It seems like they don't really get into that so much. So tell me about how that came about for you. Well, you know, basically I'm a dinosaur. I know nothing about that. <laughs> but I wrote a book. I wrote a book, and I have a friend, a guy named Alan Jager. He's a long-toss throwing guru, and – He's got a website, and I'm talking to him on the phone about my book. And he said, well, I'm going to write something about your book on my on my uh, Twitter account. Uh, Twitter, he says, what's your Twitter handle? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you, do you have a website? No. And so he says, oh, you're a dinosaur. He says, I'm going to set you up. <clears throat> I'm going to show you how to do this. And I and I and after about a week I kind of figured it out and he helped me how to embed videos and stuff like that. And I was just kind of doing stuff to promote the book and snippets from the book and videos and stuff like that. And I was getting this really very positive response from coaches and teachers and parents and players. And I'd get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, positive responses. And so I started posting stuff, not just on catching, but on mindset and on, pitching and on base running you know i've done this for 58 years so i got some stupid information and i just kept throwing it out there and i got more and more and more followers and more responses and now where i 
and anytime I go someplace, I'm not knowing, you know, hey, you coached the Olympic team or you did this. Oh, you're the guy on Twitter. I said, well, yeah, I guess. So, you know, I, I throw some couple things up there every day. I put something up there, you know, a drill or, or a, a video depicting some type of skill, catching skill or pitching or base running or, or, or something. And so now I'm the Twitter guy. I'm not a coach anymore. I'm the Twitter guy. So, uh, that's how that happened. It's totally by accident, but you know, for me, you know, I'm, I'm about the game and anything that I can do to help someone become better. I want to do at, at this point in my career. And I've always felt that way. And, uh, you know, I'm, I share information. I try and put as much information in people's file cabinets as possible. And, you know, it's a buffet table. I tell them, I say, hey, you don't need everything off the buffet table. I said, take what you want. If it works for you, great. If it doesn't, no problem. You know, you got to have a filter and just like players need a filter because they're getting so much information. Same thing for coaches and, and anybody who's accessing the, the, uh, the, the Twitter account, but that, that's how it happened. It wasn't, it wasn't by design. I didn't sell any more books. I wasn't trying to sell a lot of books, but, but, uh, uh, <clears throat> that's how it happened. And so I'm kind of addicted right now. I feel like every day I got to put something out there. Well, to be 73 and be known as the Twitter guy is pretty cool. That book, by the way, is the complete <laughs> handbook of co- of coaching catchers, which you can find online. It's on Amazon. Uh, Jerry's written a bunch of other stuff, Baseball Coaches Survival Guide, a coaching manual for USA Baseball, all kind of stuff. And now this season will not only be known as the Twitter guy, but it'll be known as the manager of the AA Hartford Yard Goats in the Colorado Rockies organization. And again, if you are on Twitter, especially if – you're a young catcher or you are a parent of a young catcher or a coach of a young catcher, give Jerry a follow. There's some really awesome stuff that he posts, like you said, pretty much every day at J-W-O-N Catching on Twitter. Jerry, we can't thank you enough for the time, and uh, best of luck getting into Hartford, finally getting a home park, and uh, enjoy the start to 2017. Thanks, guys. Enjoyed talking to you. Closing in on opening day 2017 and the man behind the business of baseball and how you learn all about it is Benjamin Hill, who is getting set for uh, a jam-packed 2017. Ben, what's going on? Hey, Tyler. Hey, Sam. I'm doing all right. I was just complaining about how tired I was, but I'm going to try my best to sound uh, energetic and peppy and uh, vivacious. It was a good start. It was a good start to it, the way you got the deep breath and the hello. I'm behind it. (laughs) Yeah, I had to rally myself. It's it's, uh, it's all uphill from here, too. It's, it's quick, powered by a lot of Red Bull, or yeah, 12, 12 ounces of Red Bull. I, I do have Red Bull. On my way to uh, our studio here, I was singing, uh, is it Dolly Parton, or her song Maureen? But I changed the lyrics to Taurine, because that's like the main ingredient in Red Bull. That's a true story. I was singing like Taurine, Is, is that where they get the name Red Bull from? Like Taurus, Taurine? Wow, I had never thought of that. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> wow. Yes. Hey, at Red Bull. Are you called yeah. Red Bull because of Taurine? I'm going to go with yes. I'm, I think we just cracked the code. This isn't like a sponsored segment, by the way, either. This is just. No. A, oh, it will be. very impressive. <laughs> Soon enough. Yeah. Soon enough, the people at Red Bull Danny will come has, with the, uh, Chipotle the checkbook open. Twitter, and we have Red Bull <laughs> in uh, the Ben's Biz segment. Now we got it all figured out. Uh, well, speaking of which. Benjamin Hill is going to be on the road a lot and therefore probably drinking a lot of Red Bull in the 2017 season. Ben announced uh, some road trips last week, some stuff that uh, had not yet formally been announced as of last week when we recorded, and some exciting new and fun stuff this week. What's the latest on the road trip front for 2017? Yeah, I rolled it all out uh, last week into 
into this week. And uh, yeah, we talked about uh, some of my trips last week. I'm going to Texas in April, Frisco Rough Riders, Southern California in May, uh, Pioneer League minus uh, Colorado, of course, in June, um, July, the Northeast, Binghamton Rumble Ponies. You know, they used to be the Mets. Now they're the Rumble Ponies. I'm excited to see the Rumble Ponies era. Uh, July 29th and 30th, since the Hartford Yard Goats uh, did not open last year in time, I'm going to spend two nights with them, July 29th and 30th, seeing Dunkin' Donuts Park, and it's finally opening. Uh, July 31st, the Wilmington Blue Rocks. Um, I've only been there once, and it was 2009, a veritable lifetime ago. Uh, August 1st, Frederick Keys. I've never been to Frederick, just one of those oversights. I didn't mean to not go to Frederick, but never, never worked it in. So I'm going there. And then my old pals, the Red and Fightin' Phils on August 2nd, cause I was able to fit them in and it's been a while for them as well. Although I have been there in fan mode recently, but not in Ben's biz mode, two totally separate, uh, entities. So that's a July trip. And then, uh, break, then finishing it all down or finishing it all up boy in August. I'm heading back down to the Carolinas. I was there last year. I usually don't repeat regions from season to season, but there's two new teams in North Carolina, the Down East Wood Ducks playing in Kinston at Old Granger Stadium. Uh, the Bowie's Creek Astros, you know, playing in a temporary, not a temporary facility, but they're going to play in Bowie's Creek for just two years before moving to Fayetteville. They are sharing their stadium with the Fighting Campbell, the Campbell University Fighting Campbell. Cam- <laughs> uh- <laughs> See, it, it, not I, not like I, the soup. The school is like the soup. Yeah. The so mascot the is Bowie's Creek Astros are playing in Campbell Field. No, at Jim Perry Stadium, <laughs> which is home to the Campbell University Fighting Camels. Sam Camels. is literally <laughs> pointing out my blog post where I write this down. <laughs> And like it's like he, a follow the bouncing yeah, ball. Yeah, using a pen to point <laughs> it's from like karaoke. to words so I read it correctly. Um, um, boy. So anyway, I'm just trying to say I'm going down to the Carolinas. There's those two new teams. I'm also returning to Charleston just because I could fit in the schedule. We'll see how that goes. And August 21st, the National Eclipse. I'm going to be in Columbia because they are the team that will be in the path of totality for the longest amount of time. And I was really excited to fit an Eclipse game into my schedule this year because that's truly a once-in-a-lifetime event, seeing a baseball game with a built-in Eclipse delay. So five months of the season, five trips, Texas, California, the Pioneer League, the Northeast, and the Carolinas. Read all about it on Ben's Biz blog. I don't even know the name of my own blog anymore. Ben's Biz blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And uh, just yesterday, I had a post go up recruiting designated eaters, which I imagine one of you guys, uh, that's a topic you would have segued right into. I'm just, yeah, no, I'm just sorry, a one just man show. Yeah, I'm just no, going to keep on going right now. Stop you. Keep going. Uh, as you know, the designated eater, well, as you might know, I was diagnosed with celiac disease in 2012, had to go gluten-free, still obviously wanted to cover food at the ballparks, so I've started uh, recruiting uh, designated eaters. I started doing that in 2013, and uh, it's become a tradition uh, as part of my uh, road trip coverage. So the designated eater is quite simply a fan at each ballpark who consumes the gluten-free cuisine that my diet prohibits. And um, Ben, e- you know what would have been cool? What would have been cool, Tyler? If you came to Colorado Springs, I could have done that for you. It's only about an hour's drive away. That would have been cool. Sure. Would have been cool. It would have been cool, but there's always 2018, Tyler. Yeah. No, I bet there is. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be great. 
you bet there is. You know, he's such a fatalist. I mean, I don't think the world's ending that soon. I think there's well, let's not speak too soon. Yeah. <laughs> you never so know. Uh, yes, I'm sorry, Tyler, and I'm sorry to the state of Colorado because at the yeah, end of the season, I bet you are. as I think I mentioned last week, at the end of the season, the only two teams in all of minor league baseball that I will not have visited are the two in Colorado. Yeah, I'm obviously avoiding it because Rocky Mountain Bureau Chief Tyler Mond is in Colorado, cool, and uh, you know. I talk to Tyler every week. I don't need to see him as well. But That's back fine. to the topic at hand, <laughs> Tyler Mon will not be a designated eater. You can be. Check out the blog for information on how to become one. Basically, you just have to email me and tell me why you want to do it. Check my itinerary. Check the uh, dates that are available. And if you're going to be at that park on that day, get in touch, and I'd love to hear from you. And you can eat the ballpark cuisine that my gluten-free diet prohibits. It, well, uh, you're in Hartford for two days, right? Yeah, I'm in for two. Yeah. Yeah. So if somebody doesn't take one of those two days, I will volunteer. I don't, I don't want to take it a spot away from somebody else who's like in the Hartford area and wants to do this and wants to get the shirt and the whole thing and the experience. But if you need two volunteers and you only get one, I'll, I'll call the second one. Well, for the various days on my road trips itinerary, uh, there's certain ballparks that I'm going to be there for two days. And, um, you know, I'm only going to do the designated eater for one day. Oh, I, I don't oh, need to fine. repeat myself. Uh, basically, my goal is to let you both down in one podcast segment. <laughs> and uh, I succeeded. Saying, but, Sam, if you, I would love if you come to Hartford at, at the time that I'm, uh, I'm in Hartford. We, right, can, so we we'll, can team up, and I'm sure I can get you involved in some sort of designated eating coverage. Yeah, uh, we'll figure that out. Coverage. Just, something that's called Dunkin' Donuts Park. I feel like I need to, to sample their fare in some way. So in a professional setting would be kind of funny. But, uh, yeah, we'll figure something out. Uh, the one thing I wanted to ask about was was the strip to Buies, Buies Creek. I want to call it Buies for some reason. Uh, what do you kind of look for when you're at a place that you know is not going to last? I mean, a lot of these, you know, you're trying to write the definitive piece on what it's like to be at this park. For something like this, you know it's not going to be there for longer than, what, two seasons. Um, so what do you kind of look for in something like that? Well, I mean, I think whether a, a ballpark is going to be around for 100 years or, or one day, my goal is just to capture the experience on the day I was there. And you're right, I do want to make it definitive. But I don't think it's going to change my approach very much, even though it's going to be for, there for two years. It'll just be I'll do my best to provide a definitive experience as it was on the day I was there. And uh, it'll serve you know, as a time capsule for the those two brief years that uh, the team played in Bowie's Creek before moving, you know, hopefully on schedule to Fayetteville in, in 2019. And that'll give me another reason to go back to the Carolinas. It's a relentless area for ballpark travel. It is very diverse. There's tons of teams in that region. Um, we're going to see you know, the new ballpark in Fayetteville. Kannapolis could come into the mix with that. So the Carolinas keep drawing me back, and I'm fine with that. It's a beautiful region with beautiful people. Ben, we are so close to opening day. By the time people hear this, will be a week away from opening day, and this is sort of the uh, – you're in the cone of silence for a lot of front offices because things are simultaneously kind of their craziest and also falling into the routine of what they'll be for the 2017 season. But what's the the uh, the mood that you've gotten from front offices around baseball so far is in, in terms of what the final stages are like getting ready for this for uh, full season teams coming up next Thursday? Yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler, you know it well. I think it's that mix of uh, dread and anxiety, or dread and uh, excitement. <laughs> you know, there's this sense of, uh, I think a lot of people are feeling overwhelmed. We're seeing that on Twitter. This like, oh my God, the baseball season is starting. And uh, if you think about any given minor league game and all the things that go into it, with the promos and the props for the between inning contests and the launcher balls needing to be numbered <laughs> individually on the tennis balls, and um, 
you know, preparing for opening day and the players are going to be coming into the town and maybe they need rides from the airport or maybe uh, the host families, you need some coordination with that and the pocket schedules are in and you're running around trying to, you know, promote the season and X, Y, and Z. I mean, the sponsorships are for the most part all sold. The promotion schedules for the most part all set. The off season work is done and now it's that kind of hectic time when you're like, oh man, here we go. And I think anyone who works in baseball is feeling a variation of that and uh, certainly that's the case with, minor league baseball teams right now in the front offices um you know they've essentially done all they can do to prepare for the season in a broad sense and now it's looking at that schedule looking at that first homestand and uh you know looking at a massive to-do list to you know to get everything done have everything you need and go into the season hopefully coming across like you've done this before and uh you know every team has nightmares about you know running out of hot dogs on opening day and and uh you know two two long lines at the ticket windows and logistical nightmares so it's uh it's a it's a tense time, but there's a lot of excitement because the off season's a pretty long time, and you're preparing for this, and you're preparing, and uh, it's almost here. And Tyler, you've worked for minor league teams, you know this feeling. I mean, how did you feel? Yeah, I mean, I you know at times I think that I miss it, and then you listing off all that stuff, I'm like, oh yeah, there's a lot of that I don't miss. <laughs> no, I mean this is like the like I said, it's simultaneously the craziest and also the most normal part of the off season is, you know, when you work in minor league baseball, you're sort of conditioned to going a million miles an hour for 15 hours a day. So when it's not that you're almost out of your element from, you know, October through February or thereabouts. Um, but this time of year, one of the, the best ways that it was ever put to me my first opening day uh, as the director of uh, broadcasting for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans of the Carolina League, where our head of group sales um, and kind of the sales guru of everything down there, Guy Schumann, who is one of those people who throughout the minor leagues has as impeccable a reputation and deservedly impeccable a reputation as anybody you'll ever meet. But Guy Schumann said to me one time, this is about six o'clock in the morning when a TV crew had come out for a live shot for their morning show. And he said, at this point, it's kind of like a, a living, breathing creature. It's going to get up it's going to get on its legs and it's going to move on and there's really not anything the rest of us can do to stop it so we just have to make sure that everything is as good as it can be going forward and I think that's where everybody sort of falls into the season is around that concept when opening day hits you're off and running and you just have to control the things that you can control to make sure that it operates as well as it can other than that it's going to happen pretty much regardless so you have to sort of embrace that mindset at this time of year but it's a fun time of year because you also get to the point where you're kind of sick of just doing the same offseason stuff and at least the game days bring you a change in the routine they bring you some excitement some fun of being at the ballpark with the lights on and you know thousands of people in the house and getting to do all that kind of fun stuff yeah absolutely and i like that analogy you said um about you know this is a creature it's taking on a life of its own and teams are hoping that creature is going to be a sleek seductive puma but it might be an arthritic rhinoceros. Yeah, very, very much so. It can very much be the case. Um, but we are uh, not only close on that from a front office standpoint, but also uh, on the site. Of course, we've had our prospect primers, all that kind of stuff. More stuff coming up next week from the on-field side. But, Ben, what kind of stuff do you have coming up for opening day? Yeah, well, I got an article appearing. Uh, it'll be on the site uh, by the time you hear this, by the time you hear these words. Um, recap in the offseason. I feel like during the offseason, I do a lot of recapping, you know, new logo roundups and uh, year end roundups and on the road roundups. And I get a little tired of recapping. This is the final recap. And then after that, maybe I'll do a recap of all my recap articles. But I'm recapping the offseason just so you go into opening day, um, you know, knowing uh, what's what with uh, everything from player development contracts and the affiliation changes to uh, all the new logos, which I've already covered in detail. But, you know, I provide links. 
um, you know, pretend new stadiums, potential new stadiums, X, Y, and Z, all, all sorts of things going on. And then Sam and I will collaborate on an opening day guide, uh, just saying things for, to look for on opening day. And of course, we'll have some uh, promo preview slash promo review type articles uh, looking at one of the things to look up for in the world of promotions, both in the opening week of the season, as well as uh, perhaps an overview of things to look forward to in the season at large. And then it all begins. And then just like the teams themselves, I can you know focus on covering things that I just experienced as opposed to recapping or previewing or what have you, or big overarching uh, perspectives on the industry at large. We're going to the nitty gritty now soon enough. Well, just to go back to that, <clears throat> that piece, you and I are going to, the, the annual Sam Dykstra Ben Hill joint. Um, what's one thing, let's kind of like plant the seed. What's one thing you're going to be looking at on opening day um, for people to start thinking about now to start, you know, getting ready for in a week's time by the time that they hear this. Well, it's all sorts of things. Um, you know, from my end, Sam will obviously be covering a lot of the uh, you know prospect debuts and the player-oriented stuff to look for, and I'll be looking for you know just the debut of teams themselves. And the first time you'll see certain logos on the field, from the uh, Florida Fire Frogs to the aforementioned Bowie Creek Astros, um, things such as uh, pr- promotions that are starting off uh, right off the bat. You know, there's a lot of uh, opening day weather guarantees. I'm going to monitor those closely. Will it be 50 degrees by the first pitch in Rochester? Only time will tell. Uh, things like that, you know, promotions and giveaways. Um, you know, 160 teams are starting their season. 80 of them are going to be hosting a ball game that day. Uh, there's a lot to keep track of that day and every day, and uh, we'll do our best to, uh, to ease you into it. Or maybe just throw you into the deep end and <laughs> hope you can swim. That works all the same. All the stuff for Ben's road trips and more you can find at bensbiz.mlblogs.com and also up on the site at milb.com. And you can follow Ben, as always, on Twitter at bensbiz. And uh, last one before the season. Soon we're going to be talking about promo previews and things that have gone all kinds of haywire at minor league facilities. And I'm so excited. Thanks, Ben. Hey, I'm excited, too. I'm super excited. And in the meantime, I'm going to work on my Red Bull parody of uh, Maureen. Or maybe I'll do it about swimming pools and call it chlorine. There you go. That could work. This this bit's just going to keep getting (laughs) getting better and better. Just let me keep talking. Or don't. Thanks, Ben. All right, you're not going to let me keep talking. Bye. (laughs) Jerry Weinstein again on Twitter at jwancatching. That's W-O-N. Wait, 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 wait. You you think that's J-Wan? It's J-W-on, man. Oh, JW on catching. Oh, yes. That makes so much more sense. Yes. I thought Juan was like a nickname, like Weinstein. Hey, Wani. Something like that. Juan. No. JW okay. on, on catching. catching. That makes so much more sense. Between that this and like, the, This is like the a scene out of bit? Clueless. Yeah, I between like. that and the touring <laughs> bit, I just feel like I'm full of re- revelations today. Yeah, man. You're really picking up on the... Jeez, Louise, I'm very impressed with your uh, your dissection of the, is, the language today. The, Linguist Sam Dykstra. Yeah, I'm yeah paying, it's good. Paying attention to the details. That's, that's, that's true. I'm not. Form, et cetera, et cetera. Lord knows. Lord knows I'm not. Uh, JW on catching. It's not a nickname. It's not Jaywan, which wouldn't make any sense anyway, I guess. But although, to be fair, baseball nicknames generally don't make sense anyway. Uh, but JW on catching, Jerry Weinstein. Benjamin Hill at Ben's biz <laughs> that one I do he's at Ben's B Z Ben's <laughs> Twitter handle Sam we have milk TV games coming up yes Actual we do baseball people can watch yeah and they're, they're actually free uh this weekend so th- it's a free preview if you've ever kind of been on the fence about whether you want to 
uh, you know, dip your toe in the milled TV waters, as it were. Um, this weekend, you'll you'll get a chance to watch for free, uh, get a taste of the product, see see if you like it, see how it works for you. Uh, games almost every day, it seems like, up until well, ex- except for two days. But uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, there's there's a game tonight between the Cardinals and Memphis Redbirds at eight o'clock Eastern. Um, you can watch that for free. March 31st, that's Friday. St. Louis Cardinals also play an exhibition against the Springfield Cardinals. Um, so it sounds like they're going on a barnstorming tour. That'll be at 6 o'clock. Uh, Winston-Salem Dash are hosting the Winston-Salem State team on April 3rd. That'll be at 5.30. Uh, Sacramento against San Jose and Duke against Durham on April 4th. And Charleston at Myrtle Beach and San Jose at Sacramento on April 5th. So these are a lot. These are all exhibition games. These don't count for anything. But if you want to get a taste of, you know, who's going to be at what affiliate, especially if you're a Cardinals fan or you know a fan of any of these teams in those areas or of their uh, major league parent clubs, um, this is the time to test it out. Again, fully free. Um, nothing you have to pay for yet. Um, but if you want to subscribe for the full season, it's forty nine ninety nine. Um, or you can sign up for one month at twelve ninety nine. Um, just some things to consider as we enter the t- 2017 season. So there you have it. Live baseball on your TV slash computer slash mobile device slash what have you for the 2017 season. We will be back next Thursday to get you all set for opening day 2017 across the minor leagues. Uh, I'm excited. I know Sam is excited. Yeah. I'm, you I'm, should I'm, be excited as well. I'm very excited. Hopefully, if you're listening, that you're excited, and we've we've gotten you excited if you weren't previously. So, um, exactly. What'd I literally do, just knocked over my microphone. I'm so excited. Goodness gracious! Uh, Unbelievable. I, I've never been so afraid of like hurting technology for some reason. I don't know why. As if this was like a live podcast, and I was going <laughs> to smack it and destroy the eardrums of all of oh, us. Oh no! But I saved it. I did Good. save. Whew, man, I'm pumped. I'm very happy that you did. Uh, you can catch uh, all the prospect primers that we talked about at MILB.com. There's also a whole lot of content on the blog, milbprospective.mlblogs.com. There's a lot of extra stuff from prospect primers up there as well. Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. I am at Tyler Mon. You can get in touch with the show, podcast at MILB.com. If you have some cheap canopies you want to sell us, those are the emails we get most regularly. And uh, until next week, enjoy the last week of 2017 without minor league baseball from now until September. Get pumped. We'll talk to you next week.